I'm Anya Katz, and you're listening to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. I started this podcast because I was tired of being stereotyped as lazy, triggered, and entitled. I wanted to give voice to a different kind of millennial and invite us to write a new story. One of a generation willing to challenge the status quo, embrace nuance and paradox, and reject PC culture. This podcast isn't about finding answers. It's about asking the right questions. How can we reinvent ourselves and the narratives we've been expected to inherit? How can we take ownership over the ways we participate in our own suffering? How can we move beyond victimization and into empowerment? How can we fix ourselves to fix the world? It's time for new dreams, new stories, and new futures. In the instinctive psyche, the body is considered a sensor, an informational network, a messenger with myriad communication systems, cardiovascular, respiratory, skeletal, autonomic, as well as emotive and intuitive. In the imaginal world, the body is a powerful vehicle, a spirit who lives with us, a prayer of life in its own right. In fairy tales, as personified by magical objects that have superhuman qualities and abilities, the body is considered to have two sets of ears, one for hearing in the mundane world, the other for hearing the soul. Two sets of eyes, one set for regular vision, another for far-seeing. Two sets of strength, the strength of the muscles and the invincible strength of the soul. The list of twos about the body goes on. In systems of bodywork such as Feldenkrais Method, Ayurveda, and others, the body is understood variously as having six senses, not five. The body uses its skin and deeper fascia and flesh to record all that goes on around it. Like the Rosetta Stone, for those who know how to read it, the body is a living record of life given, life taken, life hoped for, life healed. It is valued for its articulate ability to register immediate reaction, to feel profoundly, to sense ahead. The body is a multilingual being. It speaks through its color and its temperature, the flush of recognition, the glow of love, the ash of pain, the heat of arousal, the coldness of non-conviction. It speaks through its constant tiny dance, sometimes swaying, sometimes a jitter, sometimes trembling. It speaks through the leaping of the heart, the falling of the spirit, the pit at the center, and rising hope. The body remembers, the bones remember, the joints remember, even the little finger remembers. Memory is lodged in pictures and feelings in the cells themselves. Like a sponge filled with water, anywhere the flesh is pressed, 
wrung, or even touched lightly, a memory may flow out in a stream. To confine the beauty and value of the body to anything less than this magnificence is to force the body to live without its rightful spirit, its rightful form, its right to exaltation. To be thought ugly or unacceptable because one's beauty is outside the current fashion is deeply wounding to the natural joy that belongs to the wild nature. Hello friends, old and new. Thank you for joining me for this episode of A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. I really love reading aloud. This is one of my favorite parts of the podcast, I gotta be honest. Um, That was an excerpt from Women Who Run With the Wolves, and not only is it maybe one of my favorite portions of this book, which myself and many of my patrons are reading this summer for our book club, um, not only is it uh, such a beautiful passage, but I think it speaks so brilliantly to what I think this episode speaks to and what Malayne, my guest, speaks to as well. I've been thinking a lot about the body, uh, many thanks to Malayne and her husband Cameron. Um, Chris and I visited them at their ranch in Whitefish, Montana a couple weeks ago, and it was super life-changing, which is not an overstatement of truth. (laughs) Um, I am super grateful that my life is set up in such a way that I feel as if I'm sort of guided to the people and places that I need to go, um, the people I need to meet at the very perfect time. Uh, I think we all are (laughs) to some degree. It's just a matter if we're open to that or not. And uh, thankfully, at this point of my life, I feel incredibly open to it and sort of ravenously hungry, actually, for the lessons that the universe decides I need to learn. Um, it's it's kind of hard to describe what, what Cameron and Malene do in Whitefish, but um, to sum it up, uh, Malene talks about it a bit more in the podcast. Um, but to sum it up, they have a space, it's their home, and they open it up to people for retreats of all kinds, uh, yoga, uh, jujitsu, uh, mobility, all sorts of different movement practices, um, but all of them sort of tie together in this really beautiful way and speak as a metaphor for identity and self-exploration as a whole. So when we got there, we really thought we were walking into just some sort of like you know, martial arts camp. Um, and it turned out that basically everyone there had read or was reading Sex at Dawn and was extremely interested in this sort of well-rounded, holistic approach to authenticity, to living a healthy life. Um, and movement was just one part of that. And I love this and is definitely my philosophy as well. And it was just incredibly, incredibly refreshing to uh, see such cool people teaching so many other people these principles that I think are magnificently important and life-changing. And not only were Cameron and Malayne amazing and so welcoming, but truly everyone that they had there uh, 
during the retreat, they sort of do different retreats um, and some of them kind of overlap with one another. So there was kind of a lot going on, but was very well organized, which was also very impressive. Um, But I think I mentioned this on the last podcast that I've really never like walked into a group of people like that. There are probably, I don't know, 30, 30, 40 people. Um, Maybe not that many, but every single one of them was so cool. And the two days that we spent there felt like not nearly enough time. Um, And not only was everyone cool and everyone was aligned, but I feel really grateful because I feel like in my own life, uh, if you've been listening to the podcast for a long time, you know how I've sort of struggled and worked through all different sorts of aspects of my health and wellness and kind of navigated the wellness industry and gone on all these diets and tried to figure everything out and then ultimately recognized how emotional and psychological Uh, my problems were, um, and therefore they needed a sort of emotional and psychological solution. Um, But I sort of stepped away from a lot of, let's say, health and wellness practices simply because I had such a bad relationship with them for so long. Uh, And so I was doing lots of things that instead of, you know, felt good and um, were making me feel like I was taking care of my body actually began to feel like a punishment or just restrictive. Um, And so I very intentionally uh, maybe two or three years ago, sort of took a step away from a lot of those regimented activities in order to recalibrate, which I highly, highly recommend. I don't think I would have ever been able to come back around the circle and find things that actually felt good and that, um, were nourishing instead of restrictive and punishing if I hadn't taken that break. But I've definitely felt like for the past, I don't know, maybe six months or so really ready to get back into my body in a healthy authentic and meaningful way. And I feel like my experience hanging out with Cameron and Malene at their spot with all of these like beautiful, in shape, wonderful, inspiring people, um, really gave me the, the burst of energy in this respect that I needed. And I find myself, uh, just moving a lot more in general, um, when music comes on or just rolling around on the floor or in the grass, it feels like something I'm being pulled toward authentically um, and that is coming from inside of me instead of some sort of external pressure. So I will likely speak to that more in the future, uh, but at the moment just feeling really grateful to feel like there's a whole new horizon of possibilities as it relates to coming back into my body. Um, Let's see, what do I have to talk about? Uh, Chris and I are back in Crestone, Colorado. Um, we are planning to be here for just a couple of weeks, but it looks like we might stay in the van for a little while longer and postpone our trip to Europe, given all of these sort of outbreaks with different COVID variants and um, just not really necessarily wanting to travel to a country that's struggling with the virus at the moment. Uh, especially if things are closed down and people are just really overwhelmed. I feel like tourism isn't really the nice thing to do, Um, but we haven't decided. Uh, In the meantime, I'm thrilled to be back in Crestone. It is monsoon season, so after a couple of months of baking in unbearable heat and breathing in uh, wildfire smoke, I'm really, really grateful to be back here where there is gushes of water running down the streets and so much green. I have never, ever, ever seen this much green in Crestone and it's beautiful and refreshing and I feel like the land and my soul are being cleansed. Um, and it just feels really good to be back. So 
we shall see. I feel very uh, used to, I'm sure many of us do, used to um, plans not happening in these strange, strange years. So sort of just staying open to the flow of things, letting things change, be adaptable, and not holding on to anything too tightly. I feel like at first that was frustrating and annoying and uh, sort of, as I mentioned is at the beginning of the episode, just at this point, opening myself up to whatever it is we're supposed to be doing and, uh, kind of becomes fun when you let it happen, uh, instead of trying to control or anticipate what's going to happen. It feels like, a like a water slide or something. <laughs> the universe is just constantly taking you on turns you don't expect. And, uh, yeah, when you kind of let go, it can be fun. You're not holding on too tight to the edges. What else do I have to say? Um, we did a meetup in Boise, which was awesome. I consistently love the meetups. All of you are consistently awesome, which is why I love the meetups so much. Uh, maybe we might, especially because uh, if we do decide to stay in the van for a little bit longer, we may do another one, maybe another couple, who knows? Um but I feel so incredibly uh, refreshed and inspired after meeting all of you um, and Chris's listeners as well. And there's a lot of overlap. They're all cool. Y'all are awesome. Uh, I was just doing something that I do sometimes from time to time on my Instagram stories where I sort of have an idea or a thought and ask for everyone's input. And um, I don't know. I think I have like the smartest, coolest followers ever because you all add so much to the discussion and make me think so much. And I know make my fellow followers and listeners think so much. And it's just really cool after so long in my life of not really having a like-minded community to have an overflow of and an abundance of you now. Um, so thank you even to those of you that I haven't met in person. <laughs> I would probably bet money on the fact that you're pretty awesome. Um, I'm not going to talk too much in this episode. I will get into our conversation uh, because it's way more interesting than anything I might blab on about. But just briefly, as I mentioned, if you participated in the Summer's Book Club, which was Women Who Run With the Wolves, um, we are going to be meeting live via Zoom August 9th and August 10th. There are two different meeting times. It's been announced on Patreon. Um, if you have read that book uh, or read part of the book or haven't read the book but would like to participate in that conversation, um, you're welcome to sign up. Uh, just go to patreon.com slash Anya Kotz. And if you join at the $10 a month level or up, you get access to our book club discussions as well as tons of workshops, playlists, a contact list, uh, a patron only discord server where you can communicate with about a hundred other listeners about all sorts of topics. Um, so you can sign up for that and join us. You can sign up for that even if you don't want to join us, but think that some of the other perks sound interesting and, um, your support, your donations is how this podcast stays alive. Since I refuse to have ads on the show, because uh, I'm just not into it. So thank you for everyone who does this, support the show, whether financial or otherwise. If you would like to join the community and meet more people, um, please do so at patreon.com slash Anya Kotz. Uh, the songs I'm going to play for you today are songs that I like to move to 
two of many songs that I like to move to. Um, and I'm actually creating a playlist for my patrons right now called Get Naked and Dance. Um, and both of the songs that you'll hear are on that playlist. Uh, I have many patron only playlists, one of my favorite things to create for all of you. Um, Oh, and by the way, the song that was playing at the beginning of this podcast in the background for the reading was Illuminar by Porangui. I'm terrible. I'm terrible at pronunciation, but all of the songs that I play are listed in each episode are listed in the episode description. And then I also have a playlist on Spotify called A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. And that has every song I've ever played on the podcast. So if I pronounce something weird or I forget to mention it or you don't remember it, you can always find it on Spotify. Uh, so that was Illuminar. The song that I'm going to play you in with is called Sumeru by Island Man. And I really recommend getting up and shaking your ass or doing something. Do push-ups, walk around the room in the circle, whatever you got to do. I feel like moving before and after or during this episode is the right thing to do. So highly recommend. Enjoy the song. Enjoy my conversation with Malene and I will catch you on the other side.
All right, I'm here with Malene Shane. By the way, that is a weird coincidence. I think it was meant to be. Yeah. <laughs> so your first name, Malene, the uh-huh. A-Y-N-E is the same as the, the Chairman's last name. Yes. Yeah. I yes. was like, that's pretty awesome. Like a porn star. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I made this name up. Yeah, yeah it's funny because my, my German name, my last name is Weber. Mm. And when I met Cameron, I was like, Melaine Shane. Because people oftentimes struggle with my first name. They don't know how to pronounce right. it. And I'm like, just like Shane, Melaine. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, I think I thought it was like Melanie first when I just looked. Oh, I get it all. Melanie, <laughs> Melania. I'm yeah. like, nope, nope. I have another one of those names that nobody <laughs> understands. And my last name's also super weird. Um, cool. Well, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. Thanks for and having me. I'm really excited to be here, which mm-hmm. we'll get into a little bit. Um, so you mentioned last night, it sounds like we had strangely similar ex- life experiences mm-hmm. or journeys. Um, and I know you have been doing sort of like movement and dance forever, but it seems like you sort of took a detour in mm-hmm. your professional life. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering what that was like for you mm. and why you sort of chose to go into this more corporate environment. I mean, sort of as did I, uh, and, and what that choice was. And, and did you feel like movement could be a career as it is for you now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I started quite young with um, ballet. Mm-hmm. My parents put me in ballet class and I did that for about 10 years. I did uh, competitive horse riding. Mm. So I always had a connection to movement and uh, I was also very competitive by nature. So I had a very strict uh, ballet teacher. She was Russian. <laughs> I had a very strict um, trainer or coach for my horse riding. So mm. I lived in that world for a while. However, for some reason, and now that you're asking me, I'm trying to really tap into that memory. It never, I never felt the desire or calling to make that my career. Mm. It was really more a hobby, mm-hmm. but a passion also at right. that time. Because then also my dad, he's a German. Um, He is an engineer. Uh, He has a doctor in engineering. And for him, a safe job and a safe career and a safe environment in in the family container was always very important. So I think I kind of followed his path because he literally finished school, did his doctor. And to this day, literally 40 years later, he's still pretty much in the same company. Wow. So he was my role model at that time. And I think role model also because him and I related in the way we are Mm. uh, and the competitive nature Mm. and and this desire to continuously grow and do. Uh, Whereas my mother, she was mom, right? And she Mm. was housewife. So I didn't relate to her. I actually almost, uh, and we can't go deeper into that, rejected that female archetype. So Mm. I was relating to my dad. So for me, it was almost a no-brainer. I finish school, I go to university, I get a job, and this is what I do. Right. And I think there was a little part in me um, that kind of already knew, oh, we might take a different path at some point uh, because the company I chose at that time was Adidas. So it was obviously... Right. sports brand yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I, I did all I could around that time to actually uh, still stay very active I would run every lunch break um, I started actually yoga hmm. while working there so tr- I, I kind of already was combining these two worlds subconsciously 
mm-hmm. but I stayed um, in in that company in the corporate environment for almost six years until yeah. I made a turn. <laughs> <laughs> and what was that like to you? I know mm-hmm. my turn was one, like, a big event for me and my own mm-hmm. transformation. Mm-hmm. Did you experience any sort of alienation or judgment from the people mm-hmm. in your old... Big, was big time, yeah. for sure. Massive, yeah. massive. At that time, it was quite pay- painful mm. because I felt like I lost everything. I lost people who were close to me, um, friendships and uh, a partnership at that time, too. Mm-hmm. And um, I felt very judged for making a choice that I felt was my path, right, where I'm supposed to be. But everybody else was projecting, you know, their mm-hmm. own frustrations, fears, uh, and that that created a big discrepancy. And, and through that, and just the dissolving of, of quite a few relationships that I thought were quite stable. Right. And then I realized, oh, actually, they're not that stable, you know. There's yeah. not that commitment for each other and each other's happiness, but there is a condition right. to it. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you do during that period of time? I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of people who listen to my podcast mm-hmm. are like just before making mm-hmm. that kind of a move mm-hmm. or in it. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's like, we sort of know what we want to do, but that social isolation or mm-hmm. judgment is a big reason we don't. Yeah. Um, what did you do during that period mm-hmm. of time to mm-hmm. sort of reevaluate or like gain more strength in your own decision making, mm-hmm. go mm-hmm. out and mm-hmm. do what you wanted to do actually? Yeah. Uh, first, I can relate very much to the hesitance to make that step because it took me about, I would say, two years right. where I was contemplating about I should do something different. This is not the, the, the path I want to follow. I don't want to work in a corporate environment. This mm-hmm. relationship doesn't feel right and so on and so on. But I would not listen to what I would now call intuition. Right. Right. And um, was really more in in my head about things and very intellectual about what choices I was making. Um, And it took me actually going through a yoga teacher training at that time, um, which in in me then ignited more of the desire to actually make my passion more of a career or sharing. So I started teaching yoga and obviously Mm -hmm. that uh, the work we, we, we do or what I did around it was very much um, diving more in self-reflection, which I haven't done a lot at that time. And, and it just hit me, you know, it's like, yeah. okay, I think I have to change perspective <laughs> or just look deeper, you right. know, because like I said, this was not something I really was taught and was not lived at home so mm-hmm. much. So finding that and, and diving deeper into my personal work and then... Um, really finally meeting Cameron and, and him really asking me the necessary questions to kind of push me off that edge where mm-hmm. I was kind of like tiptoeing. Yeah. <laughs> that Looking has, over the cliff. Yes, but yeah. <laughs> yes, has helped yeah. me to just, you know, leap. Right. And I trust it. Honestly, for me, it was just trusting my own gut and, mm-hmm. and knowing that where I was headed was where I'm supposed to be, you know, and that I can create anything I wanted to create, no matter what people thought or wanted or demanded or desired and needed from me. It was just me. And it could it could be seen as selfish, but I think right. it's actually quite powerful to step into 
what is already yours and you're just yeah. creating it and and then sharing that you know the courage that it takes and actually with that then being a role model or inspiration for other women and men who are right at that cliff right, right. like you said exactly yeah. yeah i definitely want to talk about the role model piece mm-hmm. um it was interesting though what you said about like doing the yoga teacher training mm-hmm. and that that sort of helped you to self-reflect mm-hmm. and i feel like that's what you guys do here mm-hmm. very well is a sort of like movement as a metaphor yeah. for self-exploration yeah. can you talk a little bit about that and what your philosophy is around yeah that? um here in Budokan, um Movement is actually just one of our six pillars. So people mm-hmm. usually get attracted to Budokan through our movement. They see Cameron, they see me, and they're like, oh, I want to move like them. Right. Um, but oftentimes what people forget is the way you move is the way you think, right? So for us, the other five pillars are really reflective of a way of living, mm-hmm. right? And a way of living where we consciously investigate each choice we make in relationships, our emotions, our thoughts, the way we eat, uh, the way we relate to our environment, and then finally, okay, the way we move. So once people get here, and even a little prior, because I I make sure that whoever shows up here comes in prepared in a certain way, you know, that they don't get here like, oh, I just thought we were going to move all day. I'm like, hey, <laughs> not talk yes. about your inner traumas. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And we have a pretty big filter, you yeah. know, Cameron is a massive filter when it comes to bullshit. Um, so we, we also go through some application process. Mm. We usually get on, on calls with our students who want to come and we tell them, you know, movement is 50%, right? But mm everything else living in community the way we're eating here the way we're relating um and the conversations we're having Mm -hmm. they all really go deep into your psyche and and really looking at like i said what am i consciously and also subconsciously choosing in my life and what is necessary to change Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i i imagine i mean i feel like i experience this more in sort of like the intellectual side Mm -hmm. that it's so easy for us to use our like physical strength Mm -hmm. or our brain or whatever as a shield right Mm -hmm. like but look Mm -hmm. at me I have this Mm -hmm. successful job and I Mm -hmm. look at my body and it's great and um do you encounter that a lot that people sort of make this assumption or use skill sets in these ways Mm -hmm. actually as a guard to avoid that kind of inner for sure I mean I've certainly seen it and I think people show up here um, in in that manner, you know, they come and they have this appearance and they have that many social media followers and they come with their phones and just constantly are filming whatever we're doing. I'm like, no, you know, this yeah. is, put this phone away, be here present and really go beyond that facade of what you're uh, trying to portray. Mm-hmm. So I think certainly social media has influenced that, right? People can be very superficial and, and create a world uh, that is perceived as something that is totally not. And and behind that, they're really guarding a lot of pain, a lot of fear, a lot of insecurities. Um, So, yeah, we do encounter it here, and I do encounter it with people who we might be in touch with uh, in the industry. So I think it is out there, and and our our mission and vision is really, once people get here, that, that all that bullshit is slowly that armor is taken taken off yeah yeah do you also experience that i would imagine 
within your relationships with women. Mm -hmm. I feel like people must see you. You're like a beautiful, Mm -hmm. very in shape, (laughs) seemingly right on the, if you don't know you, Mm -hmm. not to say you aren't, but people Mm -hmm. will see this very confident, Mm -hmm. uh, young woman. Do you feel like in your life, maybe here, but also Mm -hmm. prior that like people have these preconceived notions or judgments about who you are? And that you sort of have, you come into the situation almost having to defend yourself without, Mm -hmm. or trying to be like, Hey, I know this might be how it looks, but I'm actually Mm -hmm. like a vulnerable person with Mm -hmm. my own insecurities. Um, and yet that somehow missed when people just see a Mm -hmm. polished facade or something. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's the biggest challenge with social media. Obviously I, I try to be as personable and, and, uh, honest and transparent as I can mm-hmm. through social media. Um, I'm, I'm not the best in my frequency. Like I'm not very consistent. <laughs> so I might go a month without posting anything or sharing yeah. anything. And then Me I too. go and, and I post a lot, but yeah. I try to really share what we do and, and what my life philosophy is to, to be as clear as I can from the get go who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, I think there's still this, um, this, this habit in people of projecting and expecting something from people they're lacking or they may be wanting from you to Mm -hmm. give it to them. So there is certainly, there are moments where people or women show up and, and they have this idea of who I am, um, and it can go in either direction. They think, oh, she might be arrogant or mm. she is just her body or, oh, she's just Cameron's wife or whatever it is, right? Whatever people make up. I mean, <laughs> um, and then they actually get to meet me in my real life, right? Because teacher training is honestly not very different from how I would live my life. I have my match in the morning. Hey, let's have match in the morning. Mm-hmm. I train. Uh, we have conversations. I eat a certain way and I train in martial arts and I train in yoga. I train in mobility because that's, that's oftentimes also something where there is a misconception. I'm, I'm put in this corner of, oh, she's just this sensual, beautiful mover, but now I'm, I'm a fucking badass yeah. in martial arts, <laughs> yeah. you know, and that matters so much to me. And I was just having this conversation with um, Shanji this morning mm-hmm. that oftentimes when I run my warrior women retreats, uh, women reach out and like, are we also doing martial arts or I don't want to do martial arts. I'm like, then you're not a warrior woman, you know, <laughs> then you're totally uh, not understanding what it means to me, mm-hmm. what the way of the warrior woman is, mm-hmm. because martial arts, I think, is is essential to our human nature. And, and this is how I see us first. We're not just a woman in our feminine energy. No, we're warrior women. We have a masculine energy in us, too, that... Mm-hmm. Uh, is 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 so important and it's so important to be exposed to it and actually experience it um for life you know because for me there's too often this conversation of women having to be softer and women not wanting to be aggressive but i'm like no we we have to be assertive we have to be fierce we have to know how to defend ourselves because if not we're just oftentimes pretending we're not a victim or we're pretending we're confident. Um, I think you have to really experience that force of nature we are through martial arts to really be that. Right. Yeah. I always like to think about it that like 
or talk about it in the way that it's I'm not saying you have to give up mm-hmm. that sort of softness, mm-hmm. but I always, I was always really grateful because I feel like I was very in touch with my masculine side mm-hmm. growing up. I don't mm-hmm. know what circumstances made that occur, but mm-hmm. much more so actually, I think than my feminine side. Mm-hmm. Um, and now later in life, sort of mm-hmm. like re-engaging with this female mm-hmm. archetype and mm-hmm. the mother archetype and, and recognizing how warped my mm-hmm. idea of that was, yeah. but this gratitude attitude where I feel like I'm really glad I honed those skills around boundaries, around Mm -hmm. speaking up for myself, Mm -hmm. because if I had just tried to embody this kind of more submissive or easygoing Mm -hmm. feminine archetype, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. that just opens you up to be Mm -hmm. abused and Mm -hmm. (laughs) taken advantage of. Correct. Correct. And, uh, I oftentimes don't even like to say, oh, female is submissive and male is dominant. I think the ultimate human is both combined both energies combined and as you strengthen your masculine your feminine also strengthens Mm -hmm. and it's not off balance so this is why i say it's a warrior woman you know because to me it's not male masculine it's it's the the meeting the marriage of these two forces that create this powerful woman right yeah right so what inspired you guys i know you had a training facility back in Miami. Mm -hmm. And then it seems like relatively recently you guys chose to move Mm -hmm. out here to Montana Mm -hmm. and set up this retreat space. So can you talk a little bit about like, what is Budokan and and how, because this seems like there's the movement practice or whatever, all the pillars Mm -hmm. that seems like you guys have through these retreats and experiences that you have here sort of expanded Mm -hmm. upon that a bit. Yeah. Um, and I've mentioned Cameron a few times, yeah. and you guys don't know, Cameron's my man, <laughs> my husband. Uh, and he is actually the creator, mm-hmm. uh, ultimately, let's say, about 20, almost 25 years ago, uh, of Budokan, which is a mixed movement art system. Uh, sometimes we also call it living art system, so we actually... Uh, really make sure we include the ways of living, like mm. I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he is a martial artist first. He grew up doing martial arts as a kid and um, was always very intrigued about psychology. Um, and in his early 20s, when he moved to L.A. from North Carolina, this was the peak of uh, the westernization of yoga. So mm. yoga started coming um, and LA was kind of a mecca. Right. So he was he was in LA around that time, and really with his movement practice started kind of shaping what yoga was at that time, and then became um, throughout the next decades. And he brought in a different perspective as a martial artist mm-hmm. than let's say someone who came through their classical traditional yoga or dance influenced. Mm-hmm. Um, and once his daughter was born, Phoenix, 18 years ago, he made Budokan an actual system and organization. Mm. So this is when he actively started teaching um, more in the teacher training concept. Because so before that, it was really more personal training um, classes, workshops. But at that time, then he got kind of kicked in the ass and was like, okay, it's time to start playing and (laughs) get serious, uh, provide. So this is when he started touring and Mm. uh, really sharing Budokan around the globe. Mm -hmm. And um, then from that started creating an actual curriculum, right? A curriculum Mm. that encompasses all those six pillars that I mentioned earlier. And um, 
about 10 years ago, he moved to Miami and he started actually teaching out of a house also. So kind of like here, but much smaller right. version of it. <laughs> yeah. um, and this is, was also around that time when we met. I met him actually in Germany when he was running one oh, of his wow. Budokan teacher training. Oh, so okay. I was his student at that time. Got it. Um, and as we then decided to come together, I, I was able to bring a lot of my skills and expertise I have gained through my marketing career at Adidas. Right. So I just came with like, this website is shit, yeah. your administration is shit, there's no process here. We're going to change this whole thing. And he yeah. literally just dropped the pen and was like, yeah, please go. Because Cameron is very artistic and creative. Mm-hmm. Uh, his brain doesn't really work like mine, German brain of, okay, there needs to be certain structure, a little bit more of a fixed container for certain things, mm-hmm. you know, for this to grow because I said you're way too small for the impact you could have on people and more people need to know about this more people need to come and and be with us and and then go out and share this Um, but he was never someone who really wanted to commercialize Budokan and neither am I but I think now we're at a place where it's really imbalanced. You know, I always say whoever's supposed to be is here, whoever is supposed to cancel right before cancels. <laughs> um, and we almost always sell out, you know. So now here in, in Montana, it's slightly different than in Miami. So when we opened our academy in Miami about four years ago, it was a daily business. You mm-hmm. know, we would run classes. So it it had a different um, impact, I would say, and just a different rhythm even. We would have students coming in every day and they would obviously work in the same curriculum and matrix, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily become a teacher and share it, but just for their own personal practice. And moving here has changed that angle again more for us where it really is more come live with us, right? Come experience living in community um, and really take something home with you that you can share and make it yours. Mm. Um, so this is definitely one evolution I can see throughout the years of, well, more moving away from movement, even though movement is still important and, and, and our students get certified and teaching the movement, but really emphasizing the experimental um, sphere of what it means to live the way of the warrior spirit which is what Budokan means Mm -hmm. right so yes I love where we're going and it it continues to evolve and um, it's really now really like I said earlier the marriage of the masculine feminine between Mm -hmm. him and me and our brains and our visions um, that we keep creating something that is appealing to different people yeah. Yeah. So were you working in the U.S. when you were working at Adidas or was no, it in Germany? Okay. That was in Germany. So this whole transition involved you also oh, moving. moving. <laughs> yes, yes. Because uh, Adidas is a German company. Right, so right. the headquarters are in Germany. Mm. And um, just maybe even more detail to my backstory. Yeah. At the time I met Cameron, I was engaged. Um, he was also working at Adidas. We had been together for four years. And, um, yeah, we were literally about to get married, I think, three or four months after I met Cameron for the teacher training. And, um, yeah, this this was 
quite turbulent, like I said, yeah. because it was very quick. My parents even thought I was completely going crazy. <laughs> um, yeah. But I was also so close to a burnout with work. And, and it, yeah, it was a big transition for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Did you suffer or do you from mm -hmm. imposter syndrome of coming here and sort of creating this thing with Cameron and really being a leader in that capacity? Uh, what do you mean exactly with so, imposter syndrome? Like I'm not, you know, someone's going to find out I'm not actually qualified or, mm. or good enough for this mm. or do I have a right really to be a leader in this yeah. way? Kind of thing. I mean, that's my story. Yeah. <laughs> my personal work actually. Uh, that I never think I'm enough. You know, mm. I never think I'm good enough, not smart enough, not qualified enough, all the things you just mentioned. So I oftentimes even feel myself like an imposter or a hypocrite. And um, I, I, I play this game with myself um, where I, I go in circles and I have to really pull myself out of that because I can, I can get very stuck in my head about it. And um, it's something I grew up with, you know, my, my dad was always very demanding. So I always grew up with this feeling of whatever I was doing was not enough. Um, and yeah, then I obviously project that to other people where I oftentimes think, oh my God, they're either just coming for him or I don't matter. Mm. Or they come and then they really see what I can't do or what. And, uh, but in the end, um, I kind of made peace with, I can only share what I can share, you know, I can only share what I have experienced. And I think that in itself is enough, right? Mm -hmm. I cannot share more than that. So I have to, I have to constantly remind myself of that. And this is usually when I'm, I feel the most authentic and the most grounded, um, and where I can really make the closest connections with people and the most intimate connections coming from that place. Mm -hmm. How do you work through some of that? I know I feel like mm -hmm. I do this too. It's like the mm -hmm. over intellectualization mm -hmm. and overthinking. Do you find that movement helps with that? Like just mm -hmm. to sort of turn your mind off yeah. and get back to. I'm definitely someone who, who needs to drop into the body mm -hmm. when I, I, I catch myself being too heady and intellectual about it. So running has always been something I was really running away <laughs> from myself <laughs> yeah. and my thoughts in one way. Yeah. And then uh, obviously as I found Budokan, martial arts, even just letting aggression out, you mm. know, taking a punching back and just like kicking and punching the shit out of it helps yeah. me vent, right? Because it's, it's tension, it's energy that needs to leave my body. Yeah. Or what I love also sometimes is just, you know, yoga, meditation, movement, just tapping into a more fluid space instead of staying stuck in, in that fixed. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a, I think movement, a vehicle toward mm -hmm. emotional expression. Mm -hmm. I feel like I, you know, for, I think I just was taught not to really emote. <laughs> like mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. not okay. You know, yeah. calm down. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah. And then when I got divorced and I moved in, uh, with myself basically mm -hmm. for the first time ever. Mm -hmm. Scary moment, eh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was like both, it was such a sort of paradoxical experience, I guess. Mm -hmm. Cause on the one hand it was like, Oh my God, I've never done this. This is liberating. I can mm -hmm. like decorate this house however mm -hmm. I want. And, mm -hmm. but yeah, at the same time, 
I sort of realized why I'd avoided it Mm. for so long. Like, this is what I've been, I didn't want to be alone with my thoughts. I didn't want to necessarily have to like create my own self-worth. And, um, and I think I also had a lot of externalized, um, pillars of value for myself. Mm. Like, well, Mm -hmm. at the very least I'm pretty and can get by Mm -hmm. or like I have Mm -hmm. this job and I'm successful and I'm a boss. And so, yeah, it was, it was fascinating to sort of watch myself, really like the volcano of emotions Mm -hmm. were so close to the surface at that time. But even still, I think because I wasn't familiar with it, like the only thing that I could do to make the anxiety go away was to like flail my body Mm -hmm. (laughs) around. Mm -hmm. I wasn't even dancing necessarily, Mm -hmm. you know, just, um, and that that released it, then you cry Mm -hmm. and you're like, okay, (laughs) you know, um, I'm assuming that's something you sort of talk about here too, like movement as a vehicle for emotional expression for sure like like i said earlier the way you move is the way you think so i mean i can see our students immediately i can see their story right i can Mm. see the story of i'm fearful or i can see the story of oh i'm not good enough or i play small or see me right you can you can literally it's on their forehead (laughs) written as they move um but then also how they show up in the space in general. Cause I, I still, for me, this is all still movement, right? How yeah. do you carry yourself totally. um, throughout the space and the community? So certainly I strongly believe that there is a body, mind, soul connection and, and they all speak the same language. They're just different ways of expressing it. Um, so that's a big conversation because there might be a moment where we literally stop the entire training because of the way someone is moving to make mm. a bigger point mm. about this human and, and their experience and their their narrative or what they're stuck with um, to work out their stuff right there on the spot. Because I feel like oftentimes um, there's a very limited approach as to how to work with people in, in therapy, let's say, where... Either you go really into an analytical space or you go into just behavioral change. But here, I think because it is so complete, like all the different layers of existence, you just constantly spot it, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have to constantly interrupt it in that moment. Okay, look how you're moving. Oh, look how you're washing the dishes or look how you're speaking to that person. Mm -hmm. Um, So when someone is here, they really, it's a mirror constantly. It's a constant mirror. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I would love to talk a little bit about sexuality, too. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm definitely someone who's always sort of made these connections between, Mm -hmm. like, who you are sexually, Mm -hmm. how you embody your sexuality. It's very similar to kind of how you move through the world. And you guys focus on that a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think Chris and I were surprised in coming here. Like, wow, that's amazing (laughs) that you guys are... Mm-hmm. integrating sexuality in that mm-hmm. way, probably in a way that a lot of people don't necessarily make that connection at first. True. And, yeah. um, it really has become more and more of a topic as Cameron and myself have worked through our own sexuality and, and challenges. Um, it wasn't really a big part of the conversation or curriculum. Um, but also because neither him nor I have ever been in such a long long-term relationship a committed relationship where we actually got to experience ourselves in a completely new way what does it really mean to get married and be married and stay married and work through hardship and heartbreak and 
how does my sexuality change through that? Does it have anything anything to do with my love? And so on and so on. So mm -hmm. as him and I were experiencing that and having our conversations, we just realized how important it is to share that because there, I think there's not enough conversation out there. Like I never had any of these conversations with my parents. And right. I'm like, fuck, you guys are married over 40 years. How have you done that, right? right? Or what what did you guys really have to work through? And how do you frame sexuality and love and entangle or detangled are they? So it just made sense for us uh, since we want to really dive into the total human experience that sexuality has to be a part of this conversation. Mm -hmm. And also realizing how many women especially have gone through some sort of sexual trauma um, and how that is really framing their view and their experience as a woman in the realms of sexuality. It, it was very important to me to open, like to have a very open channel. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I feel like this, this is a place where we all struggle somehow, right. And any kind of relationship, if it's just a temporary or a marriage, whatever it is, sexuality somewhat is, is part of it. So yeah. yes, I, I now when I also created my my the way of the warrior women mm -hmm. concept i really make it a dedicated pillar that's definitely one of the conversations i always have um because again it's just part of who we are as a human and avoiding it doesn't doesn't really help anyone right well and like any sort of bodily injury let's say mm -hmm. or, or physical trauma mm -hmm. i think one of the first things cameron said when we came here was like mm -hmm. it, you can see sort of instantly when a woman has experienced some sort of sexual yeah. trauma and she's closed off and yeah. so how does that sort of somatic practice of opening yeah. you know yeah. Yeah. um engage with that sort of uh which again like you said so many of us have experienced at least some yeah. form of that and i think sometimes and like we said even earlier today uh, once a woman has gone through that trauma, we can become very, very guarded. Right. And I think this is really the beauty about Budokan, that we can come at that trauma from so many angles. Maybe a conversation won't do anything. Maybe hearing it won't do anything. Maybe doing yoga and meditating won't do anything. But maybe the moment when you actually are wrestling someone and you have another person, another man maybe even in this context, on top of you it just releases. Right. And then that's the moment where you can really go deep and, and, and release that trauma and, and do work around it and reframe the whole story. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is what I really love about this work because it will show up like you and, and your pain and your fears eventually will come up. And for everyone in a different container, mm -hmm. right? If you want to see them as a different container each, um, but then having this very safe space, like almost like a tribe, right? We become, we all grow so, so close together, uh, and we do, do this personal work and we, every, everyone is so vulnerable and open that you allow yourself eventually to go there. Right. Mm -hmm. And maybe, maybe you still want to resist it, but there will be one trigger, yeah. one trigger will, will make it happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How do you engage with the, or I'm, if you have examples of, of ways that you've worked through things mm -hmm. as well, mm -hmm. and then also it must be interesting as a leader mm -hmm. in this community. Um, I feel like I just had that epiphany a few years ago, this community as a mirror, like mm -hmm. how can we possibly expect to evolve and grow if mm -hmm. we're not kind of 
being reflected and called Mm -hmm. on and, Mm -hmm. um, seen through the eyes of other people and have Mm -hmm. people talk to us about that. Uh, that must feel especially vulnerable perhaps to expose yourself in that way or have Cameron do that when Mm -hmm. you guys are both also working through things. Yeah. Um, I hated it at the beginning because I didn't (laughs) want anyone to know about my personal stuff. Cause just like you said, I felt like it would make me vulnerable and it would make me less. Um, and it really, it took a moment for me to switch and I actually be able, Hey, uh, lead by example, right? Lead by, by really, showing your pain and and really showing your process how I'm working through something um because this is the only way for us to relate you know Mm -hmm. and for us to really learn through someone else and their process of gaining their own wisdom and healing um that I just had to I just had to refrain how how I perceived uh sharing or having someone else, like you said, Cameron, share something about me. Um, and to the now, I am so open. Like I'm like, hey, please, I'm an open book. What do you? Which page do you want right. us to go over? Right. What can help you? You know, yeah. um, and giving people just a different perspective. Right? They don't have to adopt it. They might adapt it, or they might reject it. Might not right. work for them, but still. Um, I'm, I'm thinking, like I said, only by sharing, we can have a connection that is truthful. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And sort of reframing vulnerability, mm. not as a weakness, mm-hmm. but exactly. as a strength. You know? Yes. 100%. Yeah. Um, so I, I want you to talk a little bit more about this warrior woman mm-hmm. concept that you've yeah. developed and, um, how you see it and, mm-hmm. um, how you explore it with other women and mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, it actually, let's say that the vision, the first time I really had a vision about it was in an ayahuasca journey mm. um, where a friend of mine, she's also a student, Cordula from Germany, she was sitting next to me in ceremony. And at some point, for whatever reason, I just grabbed her hand. And the moment I grabbed her hand, I felt and I saw it. I imagined yeah. it. <laughs> I saw this string of light connecting me with every single woman in the space, oh, only the women. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then I also saw other women from my life just walk in who weren't mm. really there, but mm. they just came. And, um, in that moment I could just feel every single woman's pain and story. And I was like, Oh my God, we're fucking all the same, right? Yeah, this whole thing, but we are yeah. the same. Yes, we are. Yeah. We have the same pain and the yeah. same fear. And, but we have this community. We're here for each other and with each other. And let's just use that power to to heal, mm-hmm. you know, and, and create something powerful from that place. Mm-hmm. So this is when I had the vision, right? And the hallucination. Yeah. <laughs> but it was very impactful because yeah. for me, there was there was always until this day a certain. Mm, even hesitance on my end to go really deep with a woman because I always felt she could use it against me, yeah. right? Because I've seen it. I've seen it since I was in kindergarten <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to my adulthood yeah. um, where I felt like, well, women just take from each other and women are mean and women can be fucking cunts to each other. And I'm like, why? Why are we doing this to each other? Yeah. And um, really through 
deep heartbreak mm-hmm. and 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 disillusion i realized okay i want to create a space where women come in and we we work through our stories together mm-hmm. and we support each other through this together to create a bond that is bigger than anything else you know and where we celebrate each other and where we cry and where we just teach each other what our human nature is right not what we are taught it is what we've conditioned to what we've been believed in through our own experiences Mm -hmm. but we come together and really become these warrior women right where we come from a place of love and, and and power and not fear so based on that and and the budokan let's say concept and the pillars i just created my own version in a certain way of of a, a female approach of budokan just very targeted to aspects of my life i have worked through where i felt like i could share and and make a difference for other women mm. so you do retreats Yeah, yeah. at this moment, it's really focused more on retreats or workshops. Mm -hmm. I could see it become not a teacher training, but a program that is more expensive. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's really coming in for a long weekend or week where we have daily mind sciences like we have here, Mm -hmm. which I'm calling integrity sessions, like Mm -hmm. where are we in integrity, where we're not, uh, where are we in contradiction. And um, um, I'm just sharing my life in a way right what are my rituals what i have found for myself that is a much more natural way of living it can be really as simple from what kind of beauty products right, right? natural oils i use the guasha dry brush you know the sauna the ice bath breathing meditating moving the kind of food i eat and then just offer it you know again it's just an offering and then seeing how it resonates with each woman but then also really making sure hey we're living together like a tribe now. Right. Okay, we're cooking together, we're cleaning together, we're moving together. It's just really having this very supportive network and experience and, and living in the most natural way as possible during that time mm-hmm. and also using our movement practice, right? Because some women, they're so... Um, disconnected and disassociated from their bodies and emotions that I really love playing with sensuality. Yeah. And then there is that woman who's so in her feminine, mm-hmm. let's say, in but in this extreme where she's totally disassociating from aggression. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, we're all doing self-defense. I really start martial arts with self-defense because that to me again, is is something I can give them and they can use. I hope they don't have to use it, but they might have to use it one time. So I'm like, hey, take this. Know know what to do when you're pushed against the wall. Know what to do when a guy pulls you in your hair. Know what to do when you're being choked. And I think it's such a powerful, transformative experience to to be in that space and have, have the opportunity to, again, reframe have an experience that is actually a real experience and an imagined experience and come away 
just more grounded, I think, really more grounded in, yeah. in who we truly are. Right. And again, that sort of like mind-body connection, mm-hmm. if you can physically defend yourself, yeah. how does that make it easier for you to actually... Yeah, I mean, yeah. and there's, there's a statistic where it says that 90% of any, any assault is, or 90% less likely mm. if you have done martial arts and you, you carry yourself in a different way, mm. you're less likely to be attacked. So I really want my girls and my women to represent that. You right. know, I want them to come away here and they just carry themselves in, in a totally different way. Yeah, badass. Badass. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I, I love that you brought up the sensuality and mm-hmm. the pleasure piece. I mm-hmm. feel like that's also something I really had to kind of reclaim for mm-hmm. myself. And we have, I'm interested to hear what you think, but mm-hmm. I... To me, I feel like the reclamation of pleasure is mm-hmm. sort of revolutionary, you yes. know? Yes. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, that with, I mean, and I don't know, I feel like we live in this sort of very patriarchal mm-hmm. capitalist world. Mm-hmm. And I recognize, I think I was mentioning this a bit yesterday, these ways that we've just shifted all forms of value and power mm-hmm. to these more quote unquote masculine mm-hmm. expressions. And mm-hmm people don't understand mm-hmm. that like pleasure is powerful, you know, yeah. um, or sexual embodiment is yeah. powerful or, yeah. um, yeah. Is that something you sort of explicitly? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like women, we have really given away in a way, uh, our sexuality to men mm-hmm. to, to decide what sexuality has to look like. Um, and I think certainly there has been a shift over the last years, but only through people who make it a point, women who make it a point to kind of reclaim it and be like, yeah. no, pleasure looks this or can look this way, right? Because right. again, I don't want to make it sound like there's only one way. Yeah. Certainly there's different ways, but it was just, there was a disbalance. And now I feel like, okay, we're gravitating a little bit more back into a more central exploration of sexuality than what I have for myself even experienced as a very practical and functional uh, way of of sexuality. And um, that's also obviously very important for me in, in my conversations with women to know what pleasures you, you know, spend time with yourself and, and figure it out so you can, you can be a teacher, you can be a guide for your partner. You know, right. I feel like so many men have um, been educated in a manner around sexuality that is is, is very uh, one-sided, you yeah. know. And I think men uh, also oftentimes don't really get to experience their full potential in sexuality because mm-hmm. of that limited view and because they might not have had either the experience through a woman or whoever who has shown them the other ways and the other options and, and, uh, liberated in a certain way, um, sexual, sexual pleasure Mm -hmm. from something that was very limited to some point. Yeah. I feel like men are afraid to ask because they Mm. think they should just know. know. And then women are afraid to request or to ask because they're Mm. afraid of being rejected. And then we just get this like shit show. (laughs) And that's again, just going back to the same thing, as I said earlier, not acting from fear because when we're acting from fear, we're 
disassociating and it's really acting from this place of knowing self and loving self and 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 loving each other um where you can create i think the most expansive experiences in any any kind of sphere but now specifically right. sexuality yeah i remember my mother when i was young through as i was growing up and learning about mm-hmm. things and she one thing i really appreciate her saying was like if you're not satisfied in your partnership that's on you. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and that's so, so true. Yeah. And so different. I feel like mm-hmm. from what the culture, mm-hmm. I just had someone, a uh, podcast that I posted with a woman who wrote about female sexual desire and how mm-hmm. it's so confusing. And we're trying to embody what we think the man wants mm-hmm. and no one knows how to come. And it's just mm-hmm. like this huge, um, nightmare, but yeah, that it's not, you're not coming necessarily from, or not necessarily, you're definitely mm-hmm. not coming from mm-hmm. an empowering place. Mm-hmm. If like you said, you mm-hmm. haven't taught yourself what pleasure is and you can't say I like this I don't like that and um it's so unfortunate because I do think it leads to this sort of victimhood mentality because then you're just redirecting and instead of taking ownership for what is going on and what you're co-creating right because then hey I'm just putting this on you you don't know how to eat my pussy but it's like well do I know yeah (laughs) and well if I know why I'm not telling you you know so it's really a matter of uh, stepping into into the power of the female and and being willing to, um, I don't want to say confront because confront sounds too hard, but to mm-hmm. just be more inviting as you are clear yourself what you want to invite, yeah. um, instead of again like you said just redirect and and project, right? Or mm-hmm. just that you know I think like in sort of the only sexual education we get as women is to like be a gatekeeper and mm-hmm. say no mm-hmm. and say, you know, learn how to say stop. And like, it mm-hmm. doesn't do anything to tell us about yeah. actually how to pleasure yeah. ourselves. It's yeah. so unfortunate. Yeah. It's so much about negation. Right. Instead of teaching us, well, what, well, what is it then? Right. What can we actually create instead of what is it not? Um, and I had a very interesting conversation recently, like we were telling you guys, we were in Santa Fe visiting Cameron's daughter. Mm-hmm. She's 18. Um, she's been with her first love and boyfriend now for almost three years. And, um, we were journeying together and, and I felt so close to them. And it was so important for me that she, as a young woman knows her pleasure Mm. and, um, that he as her partner is also so in his power that he can really express it. Like we had a very raw conversations like hey do you tell her you like to eat her pussy like <laughs> do you make sounds when you eat her pussy because <laughs> um, she she because i asked her what do you like mm. she's like yeah i like oral sex i was like okay do you know if he likes oral sex she's like yeah sometimes i don't know and i'm unsure and then she gets for sure yeah, yeah. she gets uh, a little self-conscious about it so it's like you guys need to communicate right and right. in the end it just comes down to how are we communicating with each other through it yeah yeah I feel like at least I've experienced this um that I sort of I get very turned on by desire right mm. so when you know yeah. your or feel the other person's hunger and desire yeah. that that increases your own mm-hmm. and I feel like we have this problem on both sides that mm-hmm. people are sort of afraid to express mm-hmm. that or don't know how mm-hmm. and then the relationship fizzles out especially mm-hmm. sexually mm-hmm. um because yeah, we're just so disconnected mm-hmm. from 
being honest about our mm-hmm. own enjoyment, but then mm-hmm. also like mm-hmm. actually expressing that to somebody. Yeah, or even when I'm thinking about, oh yeah, this this whole game of oh make yourself just not available, and I'm like, well, why? You yeah. know, sure you can be like, oh, let's just play that, but yeah. in the end, I think like you said, just being raw and honest, I think that's sexy. You know, right. when you're telling me that you want me, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> please take me. Yeah. You know, I think that's, that's also something that is very important to me feeling wanted. Mm-hmm. And that's even a conversation, obviously that Cameron and I were having, um, because of the longevity of our relationship I and mean, mm-hmm. longevity, we've been together six years. I yeah. mean, as couples that yeah. have been together forever, but for us, this is the longest. And then just, experiencing uh, a change, not necessarily in level of attraction, but just fire for each other. And it's just sexual energy. Mm -hmm. Um, And it doesn't mean that we don't want each other, but the energy is not rising and being expressed as Mm -hmm. much as it used to be. So, yeah, I think wanting each other and and expressing that is is the fire that that gets stoked. Yeah. Um, and so you read Sex at Dawn I did. a mm-hmm. while back before mm-hmm. you had met Cameron, mm-hmm. it sounds like. Yeah. No, no, oh, no, no. Actually, when I was with Cameron. Oh, okay, yeah, so okay. I read it about, uh, no, I think three years ago. Okay. Was it two? Yeah, three or two. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you feel like that? I mean, I was, you know, we talk about non-monogamy mm-hmm. and like, as far as I'm concerned, I don't actually think everyone needs to or should be non-monogamous, mm-hmm. but I think this idea of being honest mm-hmm with your partner about mm-hmm. what you're thinking about mm-hmm. or what your sexuality is. Mm-hmm. Um, that if that's not present, that that's how the sexual energy dies down. Right. Mm-hmm. Because you sort of exhausted the mm-hmm. like two or three things you do or mm-hmm. two or three things you talk about. And I was even thinking how interesting it is that people, when they say like, Oh, my sexual dynamic with my partner has sort of fizzled, like try a new position. Mm. And it's like, Mm -hmm. Oh, that's unfortunate. I mean, less the new (laughs) position leads you to some sort of further exploration or Mm -hmm. expression of honesty. But, um, but yeah, I think there's, you know, we have this idea that we can't maintain sexual Mm -hmm. desire Mm-hmm. Um, or presence in mm-hmm. a long-term relationship. And we just like accept that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't know. I, I, I'm sort of feel like sometimes I'm on a mission to prove everybody wrong about mm-hmm. that. And, and how might we do that? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And something that came up for me yesterday when we were in mind science together is it's, it's a very provoking statement. Uh, but I want to put it out anyways, which is, I think anyone who chooses, monogamy chooses out of a certain fear and what I mean by fear is even a certain conditioning that happens as a, as a secondary emotion so it could be a religion right and religion plays a lot with fear mm. right and do's and don'ts um, or a certain fear and insecurity around my personal worth mm. because if my partner wants to be with someone else I make it mean that mm. because of my fear so I think Ultimately, if we were really honest and we would really acknowledge and fully embrace and embody that we are not monogamous, we can get closer to why we might be choosing to be monogamous. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important to even be honest about, well, why am I choosing to be sexually exclusive in my relationship. It could be certain values, right? It could be, like I said, religion or any kind of belief. 
But um, I think we really have to push again. You have to stand by that cliff again. We look like, look at well, what is what is my fear if if I were to choose non-monogamy for right. us? Yeah. Yeah, I I sort of relate this to this whole concept of like safe spaces mm -hmm. that everyone's throwing around and of course you can't necessarily grow or mm -hmm. be vulnerable if you don't have safety mm -hmm. as a groundwork. Mm -hmm. That I I'm down with. Yes. But I feel like people see or conceptualize non-monogamy and they recognize that it's triggering, right? Mm -hmm. Like they recognize it triggers their insecurity or their mm -hmm. fear or their past trauma and mm -hmm. For that reason, it's like, I mean, especially am, among young people now, mm -hmm. it's like everything has to be so, so safe and mm -hmm. so comfortable. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how are we supposed to grow if there is no conflict? You know, yeah. people see conflicts mm -hmm. like abuse or something. It's like, yeah. no, no, that's how you kind of push. And mm -hmm. that this idea of like alignment mm -hmm. with oneself or in mm -hmm. a relationship does not mean easy all the time. I <laughs> agree. <know>? And I <laughs> think... I have grown the most in all kinds of areas of my life through my relationship with Cameron because he is, his personality type is the challenger, right? He mm. will challenge <laughs> anything and everything. So, but that's good for me because I thrive on that, right? My personality type wants that. I yeah. want someone who pushes me and might see something that I'm maybe still avoiding and I don't want to wrestle with that idea yet and I think this is also important because I'm not saying like you guys I'm not advocating everybody has to be non-monogamous and everybody has to work their shit out and if yeah. you're not doing it you're just fearful and not growing right. no I'm like hey have conversations but still honor each other where you're at in your developmental state mentally emotionally and let them work with it right and yeah. and we had a very interesting Shanji said something very interesting today. He's like, too much pressure will make you break. Too much pressure will make something explode. And that really resonated with me specifically around this conversation. Because if one of the partners pushes too much, mm -hmm. the other one who's not ready yet, who's still in right. process, um, it eventually will break. It might break the relationship. It might break that person. And it's not the outcome you want to achieve as a couple. So he, uh, he even said something like, there can't be too much intention. And I believe in that, like intention being the thought, the conversation, but it can just like tip over into too much pressure. So I think it's so important to have these very honest, vulnerable conversations as, as the couple it, because everybody has their own perception and their own reality and their own belief around sexuality, commitment, love. So it's not easy. I don't think it's an easy task to work that out. Yeah. You know, it's so rarely that you find you as a non-monogamous person immediately find someone who's also non-monogamous and you're like, yeah, great. Yeah. This is what we're going <laughs> to do together. No, I feel like usually in what I've seen is one of them starts really tapping more into, well... My nature doesn't seem like, or human nature doesn't seem like, to really follow along these uh, lines. So, how can we how can we have a conversation that has a certain intention and desired outcome without being too pushy? Right. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I sort of use my podcast in this way too. And mm-hmm. I sort of constantly have to remind people like, you know, that one, that my narrative or my experience mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily negate yours, but yeah. I try to share these sort of, mm-hmm. like, I, I was so bored with like right and left opinion mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. you know, the woke or conservative opinion. Mm-hmm. And I always felt like I'm somewhere in the middle of this, or I yeah. share some opinions with these conservative mm-hmm. folks, but I don't share other ones at all with them. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that if we don't, we don't need to hear someone else's opinion or experience or judgment of us as a hundred percent truth, mm-hmm. but it helps us like get to the meat of mm-hmm. why we feel the way we feel or yeah. why we have that opinion. Mm-hmm. And that like, it's okay to embody our own subjectivity mm-hmm. and like that mm-hmm. we have our own mm-hmm. unique experience that is informed. Mm-hmm. And, and if we can't ec- unpack that and explore mm-hmm. it, you know, mm-hmm. like I, for example, I was raised by very much questioning like mainstream medicine, mm-hmm. all like homeopathic, mm-hmm. natural, this and the mm-hmm. other. So I have sort of like a proclivity toward that, mm-hmm. right? Like sure. I will believe that and I will follow that much more so than I would mainstream medicine. Mm-hmm. But because I know that, I can like question myself mm-hmm. like, well, maybe I'm being a little bit too judgmental mm-hmm. or skeptical mm-hmm. of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that's so helpful to like consistently. I'm like you, I just, mm-hmm. I, people get so weirded out by it, but I, <laughs> I love, I love being challenged, which doesn't mean I won't mm-hmm. like defend mm-hmm. or object mm-hmm. to whatever the person mm-hmm. says at first, but I really, I think it's a necessary way. Yeah, to like grow. just wrestling with ideas and wrestling with perspectives and, and, and attempting at least to remain as neutral and objective as possible. Mm. I think that's also how I would res- describe emotional intelligence, that you can have an opinion uh, that is informed by your belief and experience, and at the same time you have the skill set to hear someone else's and have an objective conversation about both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, and And I think... Yeah, in in this conversation around sexuality, there is there are so many different opinions, right? Because each person has their own reality, and then you hear that couple, and you hear this couple, and they're doing this, and you're like, oh my god, I haven't even thought about that. And this is possible, and how are you doing this? So, yeah. just taking it in, and I think sitting with it, and and then in the end, it's just. And this is my mentality around very much everything. You have to have your own experiences to know what works for you. And every time you have an experience, really take your time to sit with it, mm-hmm. reflect on it, integrate it. Again, instead of rushing through a million different things, like the same with food, right? If you're like, oh, this makes me bloated, but is it really that? Let me just start taking some kinds of food out and then I reintegrate and then I know for a fact what it is. And I think sexuality, it's the same. Instead of just from one day to the next saying, hey, let's open our relationship and everybody just goes and fucks around. It's like, no, let's let's see what, what feels healthy and sustainable. Right. Yeah. So before we wrap up, I wanted to talk a little mm-hmm. bit about your decision not to become a mother, or at least mm-hmm. not to have mm-hmm. kids. Yeah. I will, I'll rephrase yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mm-hmm. also made that decision, mm-hmm. which I feel like I just sort of expected I would have kids. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't necessarily feel like I was extremely pressured. It just mm-hmm. sort of felt like that was the natural trajectory mm-hmm. of my life because mm-hmm. that was the natural trajectory of a woman's life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what was, hard for me was that I felt 
pretty motherly and Mm -hmm. I loved kids. Like Mm -hmm. I loved hanging out with kids. I found them much easier to deal with than adults Mm -hmm. (laughs) oftentimes. Mm -hmm. And I felt really comfortable and they felt safe with me. Mm -hmm. And, and I think just even that more broadly, like the nurturing, Mm -hmm. you know, role model type Mm of, uh, type of role. Uh, and it was, it was so relieving for me to recognize that I could still embody those things mm-hmm. and I could still be a mother without mm-hmm. necessarily having kids. Yeah. And it's interesting. I know you've made that same choice and it's sort mm-hmm. of like you also of your community mm-hmm. are a mother. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but I'd love if you could talk a little bit about yeah. that decision. Yeah, I can totally relate to what you're saying. And, um, we had a very interesting conversation last week during mind science, also about the mother archetype mm-hmm. and can a woman who has never birthed a child uh, really tap into what it means to be a mother. And my my opinion on that is, yes, you can certainly have motherly qualities, like you said, the nurturing, embracing, you know. Will I ever know what it is to birth a child? Yeah. No, right. but it doesn't take away from this ability to love like a mother, I think. Um and at the same time, I'm I'm also willing to be challenged by mothers and, and them telling me, no, you yeah. need to really birth your child for you to understand what it means to love like a mother. Um, but either way, I think there is, there is a way to be motherly mm-hmm. and have that kind of experience. Like you, I love kids. We had a kids program in Miami and I love playing with them and I have very motherly feelings even for for our younger boys or girls where I really feel that, you know, I want to be a mother to them and, and, and a certain role model. And, um, even thinking about, well, how do I see my mother, right? How has she shown up for me in my life? And, um, so I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything. And this is also why I made this very conscious decision that, uh, this is not about missing out or doing something that I'm supposed to and my bo- body is made for. It's really a conscious decision of um, my my way of living and how I see where our world is just going, you know. Yeah. I, I don't even think uh, putting another human on this planet makes sense at this point, right. you know. And then there's also a very selfish part in me that's like, no, I I want to be free, you know. I want to live out my relationship and and my passions and my work without having to really dedicate energy and time into another human. Right. Yeah. I felt like I, like my whatever motherly energy or just Mm -hmm. the energy that I had in general would Mm -hmm. be better used sort of spread across Mm -hmm. (laughs) multiple people or in different ways. And, you know, I think people don't, you know, they, they're so ashamed of the idea mm. of like resenting the fact that yeah. they had kids or resenting their kids yeah. that they don't even consider it as an option. And yeah. I do think I would feel that way, mm. you know, and just like you, like have shit I want to do. Mm. And, and yeah, I get that that sounds selfish, but I genuinely feel mm. like my presence here on earth mm. would be better served if I wasn't neurotically like managing my 100%. own <laughs> And sometimes, and some, some women, especially they don't like when I say that, but I also think that it could be seen as selfish to have a baby because the right. baby didn't ask to be born, right? right. It's something that right. you felt like you needed to step into that purpose of a mother and, yeah. hey, great, and I'm sure she will be a great mother, but at the same time, you know, don't don't judge someone who doesn't want to have a baby. Yeah, mm-hmm. agreed. 
Well, thank you, Melaine. Yeah, um, thank you. Where can people find you and learn more about what you mm-hmm. do? And then I also ask everyone if they could recommend one or two or even three books that were really mm-hmm. impactful in your life. Yeah, yeah. Um, And we actually have a book club that we do, mm. and we use the recommendations from the guests. So it's okay. kind of cool. Gosh, my brain is like racing. <laughs> yeah. <right now. laughs> so where can people find me here in Montana <laughs> in person? Yeah. Uh, once and if you can travel, come see us here at Budokan, Montana. Um, beautiful retreat space with teacher trainings and retreats. Then, I can attest to this. Oh, it's yes. like such a great space. Yes. I'm so happy you guys came <laughs> to actually too. see that. Yeah. Yes. Um, once in a while on Instagram <laughs> when I'm on it. Yeah. But yes, please, Milane Shane on Instagram or also Budokan University. I'm right now in the process of uh, finishing my website, milaneshane.com. That, that took a moment for me to really have my final vision come to life. You know, I, I have worked with a dear friend of mine. She's a beautiful artist um Mm. she has created some archetype visuals so bringing this to life through my website hopefully in the next two or three months um traveling you know you'll find our touring dates right now on budokon.com just online training Mm. we do and um yeah and that's pretty much it in terms of platforms and for books definitely sex at dawn (laughs) no i'll be very honest this book has made a big impact just for me especially at that time to detangle sexuality and love Mm -hmm. you know or sexuality and commitment um at the same time i was also reading a lot of esther perel's book mating and captivity Mm -hmm. um Another book that I love also related to personality and relationships is called Intimate Relationships from Walensky. Mm. forgot his first name. Conscious Loving. You know, they're all very much related to relationships, but I see our human experience is very much a relationship with all kinds of people. You know, I'm not just referring to romantic relationships, but it's our parents it's our children, it's our partner, it's our friends. So I think it's it's so important to develop um, yourself as a human and do your personal work around who you are <clears throat> to have healthy relationships. So yeah. this is why I like to really dive into uh, that that container, you know. And um, yeah, I think it's already four, so I'll yeah. stop here. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, and not just relationships with people, but like our relationships to our bodies planet, and to our environment bodies, everything, and it's all everything. the relationships yes yeah. yes well thank you again mm, this was thank great you. <laughs> hello again thank you for listening to that conversation if you are interested in all that Melaine does and was talking about i highly recommend going to check out budokan university following her on instagram she and cameron are truly inspirational people and i hope someday to be offering similar programs in a similar environment, um, and just really growing with community. It's such a beautiful, amazing thing and was super inspiring to see two people do it so well. Uh, I'm going to play you out with another song that I like to dance to. It's called feeling good, which is funny because I played feeling good by Nina Simone in the last episode. This is, uh, a very different feeling good that was recommended to me by my friend Jess. Um, because we both like to pretend we're cats. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. It's Feeling Good by Sophie Tucker. Another great movement tune, dance tune, whatever you want to do. 
I recommend getting up and moving your body. Uh, if you'd like to support the podcast and meet fellow listeners, patreon.com slash Anya Kotz, A-N-Y-A-K-A-A-T-S is the way to do that. Uh, not only will you be helping this podcast financially, uh, but you will also get access to lots of patron-only workshops, a Discord server, playlists, contact lists, stickers, and a bunch of shit that I always forget because there are so many perks. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this show. I hope you enjoyed it, and I will catch you next time. Just to me.